Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Your co-hosts, Jamie Albright and Sarah Rosette, couldn't be more different. In fact, they're a study in contrasts. However, despite all of their differences, they agree that sharing what they wish they'd known, both the good and the bad, is the key to moving forward. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Them podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And today we have Jamie Davis on the podcast. Yeah, so two Jamies this week. Double Jamie. J Square. That's right. As we go by, we talk about it in the podcast. (laughs) Yes, we do. Yeah. So in this interview, we talk a lot about um, hurdles, writing hurdles, and um, when you're approaching like a new stage in your career and kind of the mindset you need to have. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really good. We talked a lot about, you know, transitioning through different times in your career. And Jamie had had a business and he sold that and went all in into the writing podcasting and he has a lot of tips for podcasters too. So, and and he talked about being, having a supportive spouse that really helps. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a good, good thing. Always a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, So what's been going on with you this week? Well, um, I have taken down the blanket fort. Uh (laughs) um, Yeah. I finished recording, um, the, like I call it the first draft of the audio because I know I'm going to have to go back and fix things. But I've had a couple of people ask me questions, send me questions. So um, I was just going to say that if you're interested in doing that, I don't think it's really not that hard. It's time consuming. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I've discovered. <laughs> and um, I'm going to hire out the uh, editing of it. So what I did was I just recorded it. And then if I made a mistake, I would clap. So it would show the spike on the sound recording and then I could go back and quickly find those and chop out the mistake, you know, clap, re-record, clap, re-record. And so I came out of the room one day and I was like, okay, so do y'all think I'm like applauding myself in there? I'm clapping so much because I was making Well, so if many I mistakes. did it, it would sound like an audience full of that's how yeah. mine was, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty I'm much how mine was, too. Yeah. Yeah. So but I finally kind of got it down and got the got everything going. And um so I think that if you want to do it, it's totally doable. It's not that right. hard and not that expensive to get mm-hmm. set up. You know, you don't have to buy a whole lot of fancy equipment. Right. And um, just Do you create. have a new mic? I've had this one, and oh. I just didn't use it because you have to have the pop filter thing. And mm-hmm. I just – it takes up a lot of space on the desk. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid I'm going to bump it like I just did. Mm-hmm. But um, so, yeah, so I had all this, and then, you know – the blankets. We have blankets at home, so it's not that hard. And to the umbrella. <laughs> My umbrella. Yeah. So yeah. So um, I would say definitely it's doable, and um, I haven't tried the editing, but I think I think that you could learn that. There's courses and things that you could learn that right. you know are not incredibly expensive. So so um, I did worked on that, and then um, that's been pretty much it for me this week. I've uh, gone over to Austin to help my daughter move from one apartment to another. Mm-hmm. And I don't even, I actually didn't even know what day of the week it was today. Cause my week is so messed up. I know, I know. <laughs> so, so what about you? Well, uh, last Thursday I got a call from my daughter who lives in Dallas and there was 
a little bit of an emergency. And so I just got in the car and came to Dallas. And I've been here this whole time. My daughter has um, three foster children and a bio son, and she's pregnant. So, uh, and she's under 30. So, uh, <laughs> and I bet she's tired too. She's tired, even though she's only under 30. So, we, um, so I stayed to help, and uh, we, there were some things that were just kind of unknown for a few days, but I went ahead and stayed to help her just because this week was kind of crazy for them. But one of the things that I, um, that happened was, you know, I'm working on my book and usually when I'm writing, you know, like everything's got to be perfect. You know, the, <laughs> the mood lighting, I've got to be wearing the right thing that, you know, the smell quiet. Or right. Yeah. Exactly. Atmosphere. Exactly. And, um, but, and that's probably why I write so slow because it's not, you know, it's hard to find those times, but while I've been here, I've had to, um, be an opportunistic writer and um, my daughter she edits our podcast and she works for another uh, publisher and does a lot of stuff for them and so she has to do the same thing so I thought well if she can do it I can do it so I've gotten words in all this week uh, every day some days I've hit my goal some days I've been a little under yesterday I would have hit my goal but I lost 600 words Uh, but (laughs) it was okay it's just but being that opportunistic writer um, is, has, is a concept that's been a little bit foreign to me and I did it this week. So I know I can do it, you know, and I might mm-hmm. just do 500 here when they go down for a nap, do 1500 then, and then 500 or a thousand later, they have a rest time where they're mm-hmm. kind of just in the but room. All that, it does add up. Mm-hmm. And if you can, do you have trouble like getting into this story? Like when you have like, no, I don't. Minutes? And that's okay. what I kind of thought I would I would have trouble with, but I didn't. Maybe it's because I, I know this story. I did find myself, like, I kind of got to the end of one part and thought, I'm not exactly sure what happens next, but I know what happens after the next, that thing. Mm-hmm. So I just skipped on ahead. It's probably a chapter or two, maybe just one, and then started writing. So I thought, you know, I can always go back, you know, second pass through, I can, I'll fix mm-hmm. that. Um and that is how I write. You know, I have to get, I would have to write the first draft. Yeah. If I spent my time editing, it would take me forever. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I've been really happy and I've made progress and I should be done with this first draft by the end of September. So that is great. I know I'm really happy. And, you know, of course That's I'm great. not quite to that 20,000 word mark, which is where I freak out. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> just pencil that in yeah, on just, one day, freak out day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's been good. It's been good, so and everything good. worked out here, and everything's great. And well, um, that's good. Well, I was going to tell you that um, I don't, I haven't personally verified this, but I have read that Jane Austen had a book that she was working on, and she would put it out so that it was out like in the house somewhere. Uh-huh. And she would, when she walked by, she would write a line. And then the next time she walked by, she would write another line. Mm-hmm. And that just blows my mind because, you know, I, you know, I like to have my mm-hmm. space and time yeah. and quiet to write. Yes. But yeah. so you're just like Jane Austen. I am. I've been compared to Jane many, many times. <laughs> my Lord. But, 
<laughs> and then also the hurricane, you know, I was in Dallas with my husband and daughter and grandson were at our house mm-hmm. in Houston. So, and I know you were, yeah. there too. And, you know, for a yeah. day or two, we weren't real sure what was going to happen. And it brought back all those Harvey yeah. memories. And it was, yes. it was very odd because I yeah. drove back to, to Houston and it was like, you drove in, stopped at the gas station to get, fill up with gas. And there's just like this completely different kind of low level hum of anxiety and like tension. So, yeah. but it all came to nothing And Houston. Didn't, we hardly got any rain at all, yeah, I but don't think you know, South any. Louisiana was, yeah. I know, and we're, I, you know, our devastated prayers and minds are thoughts with those people. And if you're one of those people that know that we're thinking about you. Um, yeah. So anyway, well, let's get on with the interview. Yeah. We've rambled enough. We have. <laughs> Here's Jamie. All right, today we have Jamie Davis on the podcast with us. Jamie Davis is a nurse, retired paramedic, author, and host of the Books and Authors Fantasy Podcast. He loves everything fantasy and sci-fi, and especially the places where stories intersect with his love of medicine or gaming. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I, I, um, I love when my real life intersects with my fantasy book life. So, yeah. so tell us how you got into writing. Oh, you know, um, I, I've been a, a medical journalist for about 15 years, and um, and so I've been writing nonfiction stuff for a long time, you know, articles and stuff like that. Uh, but in 2000, I guess, uh, 14, uh, November rolled around, and somebody dared me to do NaNoWriMo, um, which mm-hmm. is National Novel Writing Month, and um, I said, well, what's that? I've never heard of it before. And uh, looked into it. And I'm like, 50,000 words, that's a lot. But I'm, I'm up for the challenge. Um, I had an idea, actually, for a, fa- a fiction story rattling around in my head for a long time since I used to ride the ambulance. And um, so I went and took that story about a supernatural paramedic. And that became um, my first project. And it was I wrote it and, and got NaNoWriMo done in that month of November 2014. And that book was actually, uh, I self-published that book the following August. That's amazing. And I actually learned about NaNoWriMo from you at the Smarter Artist Summit in 2016 when we first met. Um, We were in a cab or a Uber or something. I don't know if you remember that, but I I, I didn't really remember. I didn't really know exactly what it was. So for our listeners who don't exactly know what NaNoWriMo is, can you tell them what... uh, Yes, it stands for National Novel Writing Month. Um, it's NaNoWriMo. So if you take the beginnings of all those words and put them together, it makes mm-hmm. NaNoWriMo. Um, it is uh, November of every year. Uh, authors and, and, and people who want to be authors get together virtually online, and we try to write 50,000 words or more in a single month. So that's basically the, the goal is to write a short novel or a short novel length piece of something within mm-hmm. that time frame. And uh, there's a, a website, nanorimo.org, that um, lets you track your progress and you get badges and awards and there's a social function with it. And um, so I've been doing it ever since. I do it every year. I always have a project set aside for NaNoWriMo each year. I look forward to it. I spend the last couple of weeks of October plotting it and getting ready. And 
um, that's something I really look forward to because it did get me started writing and I really try to honor that and, and uh, support others through doing it myself and, and encouraging them to complete their projects as well. That is very cool. I've never done nano and uh, I've always thought that November is like the most stressful month. Only more stressful would be December because you've got Christmas in there because you got the, in the United States, you know, you have Thanksgiving and stuff. So yeah, so maybe someday I'll do that. But I think it's been a lot. It's a good inspiration for a lot of people. It gives you that um, connection with other people that you don't normally get. So what was your first big success? Actually, it was that um, initial book, Extreme Medical Services, um, about paramedics who take care of supernatural creatures, you know, in secret in their town. And um, it, um, I already had a, a pretty good list of of medical people that I had following me as a journalist. And I, so I kind of hit that list, you know, to kind of help with the launch and it really, you know, springboarded it up the, up the charts, you know, enough to to get some traction. And so it did quite well. And and I got a lot of good reviews and a lot of people reaching out to me saying, when's the next one. And of course I hadn't really planned for a next one. Uh, So I was like, I guess I got to write another one. So uh, it, 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 you know, it, it's a never ending process now, but it, back then it was quite daunting to, you know, Oh, I got to write another book and, and you know, what, what do I write about and what's the next part of this story and things like that. So is that, serious? how long did it take you to write? Sorry, Sarah. How long did it take you to write that second uh, book? Um, if I remember correctly, I think it took me like, I would say three, three months, maybe three or four months. It's about 60,000 words. Um, mm-hmm you know, to get it done. Um, and you know, the first book was a process of years because the idea had been kicking around in my head for a while. And, um, and then of course, by the time I actually wrote it, it took probably nine, 10 months to get it done. But, um, the second book, once I decided on the story, it was easy to kind of flow into the characters again. And I, I, I've always been a storyteller, I guess. And, and so um, my family never takes anything I say at face value because I always embellish things. So that's just, um, you know, my kids grew up with me kind of leading them astray until they figured out I was joking. Um, and, and, and so I, my storytelling, I think, comes naturally, which once I kind of let that flow into my writing, I think it helps me keep stories moving along. Yeah, yeah. I know uh, there's this, uh, my husband feels the same way because he's like, <laughs> there's this story of it's like a joke, but this woman's at a party and she's telling the whole room about their cross country trip and all the trials and tribulations and everything that happens. And people are just rolling on the floor laughing. I mean, she has them in the palm of her hand. And when she finishes, her husband said, we flew. So (laughs) (laughs) he said that is a little too close to home for us because I do tend to embellish. If it's a good story, let's just keep it going. (laughs) Or put it in a book. Mm -hmm. Or put it in a book, yeah. Yeah. So uh, tell us what you wish you'd known about writing and craft. Wow. Um, You know, I think what I needed to, to do was, you know, writing, writing as a journalist is just completely different from a process standpoint. And so I wrote, when I wrote, my fiction stories, it was really my spoken voice coming out on the page. And so I really needed a lot of work and I needed to learn, 
not to leave cliffhangers. And, and so my first two books actually have like major cliffhangers in them. And I keep saying I should probably go back and, and fix that. But, uh, you know, I, I would rather keep working on the next book and people don't complain too much because the next book's there to get. So they don't, you know, they, they just roll right into the, the following book. But yeah, I, there's a couple of things. I think um, I needed to learn how to wrap a story up. It took me three books to figure out how to end a book. Um, and it took me some time to kind of find my voice. And, and I think that that's, you know, I knew how to write, but I didn't know how to write fiction well. And, and that was something I had to kind of discover along the way. Yeah. I've heard this from journalists before that because though they, they're used to writing on deadline, they're used to kind of being, you know, concise and get basically getting the job done that it is easier for them in a lot of ways to finish a you know to write faster to finish a book do you, do you it find is. That? and I, I would agree with that because I'm used to thinking words and putting them out through my fingers mm-hmm. um you know in a, on a typewriter a keyboard yeah. I'm very used to taking that that process happening it's just diff, you know I just changed it into story and I think that's why my earlier books are much more almost conversational because I'm telling the story to myself as I go along. And, and that's what I'm type. That's the way I'm typing it. Um, I, so I learned a little bit more as I went along about narrative and, and descriptive things. Um, I still write very sparsely in my first draft and then I have to go back and add color to the story. Um, there's a lot of dialogue in the first draft, but I need to add, you know, well, you know, all right, they came into a room. What did the room look like? You know, what, what that kind of stuff just never gets yeah. into my first draft at all. I'm either. like yeah. straight to the action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've been using dictation and I've noticed I use a lot more dialogue when I'm dictating because it's just, you know, you bounce back and forth. And then later when I go back in, I have to add in some of those details and it's just easier for me to do it that way for some reason. I don't know why. So, um, so switching to marketing, what do you wish you had known about marketing? You know, it's interesting because I run my own business for a long time um, as a podcaster. I understood some of that ahead of time. I think I had a head start on a lot of authors. Um, so, because I, I thought about this coming into the, this podcast, and I was like, you know, what would I what would I say I didn't know? Because I had a list. Um, I think if I, I think if I, if I'd done anything differently, it would have been spent that 10 months of editing and reworking the story before I published to actually build a fiction list. In other words, you know, work, work my existing medical list that I had and bring them over into the story world and, and develop them into to avid readers. And, and um, that's something, you know, honestly, I think you, Jamie, are really super at, you know, you really do a good, good job of engaging readers. And, and I know you did that with your first book is created a list mm-hmm. ahead of time. And, mm-hmm. and I think so. I think authors think, well, I can't have a list until I have a book. And, and I think that's not the case. So I think there's so many things now, even that we didn't have, you know, you, started a couple of years before me, but that we didn't have back then, but there are, there are tons of, of things that you can do to build a list. Now, I mean, you know, uh, Ryan Z, we had him on the podcast, you know, his book sweeps. If you have a free novella or free book, you can build a list that way. Book, book funnel has tons of promos for list building. And I just, I, I think you're right. I think that, um, 
building that list is so, so important. It just really sets you up for, um, I think it sets you up for success. I just do. So you're one of the few people we've talked to that have actually had any kind of list before they started. Mm -hmm. I think you and Jamie are the exceptions to the rule that, you know, J square. We always say (laughs) we we do. It's us. I tell you. It's funny when we're in a, when we're in a room together. I mean, somebody yells, "Jamie!" We both our heads. We both look, yeah. Like we see each other and we start laughing um, because I think there were the only two Jamies in in the author world, or at least the only ones we know. So we know, yeah, exactly. I mean, how square can we be though to call ourselves J Square? And I'm really the only one that does it. Jamie does it really. (laughs) I I do it too. No, it's just there. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. You're the host of a long, your long-running podcast for nursing, and then you also have the fiction podcast. Uh, for authors who'd like to podcast, what advice do you have for them? Anything you wish you'd known about podcasting? Sarah and I could do a whole show on this. Yes, we're taking yeah, well, notes right now. I mean, I've been, I've been actually helping podcasters get their shows started for years because um, I've been doing it since podcasting started practically. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of changes over the, the, the years. Um, you know, the biggest thing I tell people that want to start a podcast is um, you don't need a lot of fancy equipment. And you, I mean, it, it's great if you want to spend some money and get a decent mic and some things like that, and, you know, but you don't have to have those things. Um, what you'd have to have is a will to start the podcast. Um, and, and I think that that's the hardest thing that people find is they're afraid to, to do that first episode. Um, and, and I think it's like writing a first draft. It's like sitting down and putting words to the page. You're afraid that it's going to suck. Well, guess what? Your first episode is absolutely going to be the worst episode. Um, and every episode after that will get a little bit better. Um, right. If you listen to my first episodes, they're out there in the ether somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. they, they're, you know, they're me at my kitchen table with an, an old radio shack microphone. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it sounds horrible and boomy and, and, and yes. stuff. Uh, but, so I think it's just starting the show and and being willing to do it. The other thing is having a vision for what it, you want it to be. And and so is it going to be a, a half hour interview show? Is it going to be a show where you're going to talk about craft and what's that mean? Are you going to have segments where you know this is the craft segment, this is the marketing segment, this is the you know there's lots of different ways to set it up, but it helps to have a vision for that template of what your show's going to look like. And so that what the, what the listeners will expect from you is important. Um, and finally, the last thing is having a schedule. Um, letting your listeners come to expect your episodes on whatever day it is you're going to release. You know, when they wake up Monday morning, if your show comes out Mondays, you're, they know they're going to open their phone up and your show is going to be there waiting for them to listen to on their way to work. You know, back when people used to go to work. Um, yeah. and um, you know, or the way downstairs to make coffee and then sit down in their pajama bottoms and their nice blouse in front of their screen while they work. Um, yeah. and, and so I think that, you know, it's just important to be on a regular schedule. So just do it, have a format and have a regular schedule for when the show comes out. So how do you balance, you have the two podcasts, you have writing that you also do. How do you balance all that? Um, time consuming as we it is, it is time consuming. I mean, I'm a full time. I, I, I stopped. Um, I used to have seven weekly podcasts plus articles I wrote. 
Um, I also ran a network for medical podcasts that had 40 different programs on it. Um, and I went and ran advertising for all of that. Um, wow. I sold that business um, right after I, I guess, 2017 uh, or no, 2018, I guess, early 2018, I sold that business. Um, I was talking to a couple of um, author friends of mine who we were talking about how we were balancing just these things. And they said, you know, when you talk about writing, you're all animated and happy. And, and when you talk about your other business, you just, your shoulders droop and you're, you get all sad. And, and, and they said, you need to get rid of that. And, and at that point, my books were making enough money that I could probably afford to, to get rid of some of it, especially if I sold the business. So I sold the business. I, I put it out there to some people that I'd partnered with over the years and they, they bought my equipment. They bought, you know, I had a multi-camera studio I traveled around the country with to medical conferences and I sold all that stuff. Um, I kept, I kept one podcast for, that had a sponsor that wanted me to keep doing the show. And as long as they'll keep paying me, I'll keep doing the show. I, I, I have a co-host who does all the scheduling and things. I just kind of show up and, and do the show every uh, Thursday. So that's easy. Um, and then when I, I, but I also wanted to start the next podcast because I wanted to start a podcast about writing. So I wanted to interview authors and talk about fantasy books. And, um, so I just, I already had the knowledge and the skill to do that. So it wasn't a huge curve in my, my schedule to carve out to do that. Um, but I really focus on writing. Um, my, my main goals for my business and I, I do set goals and I review them on a regular basis. My main goals for my business um, are to put out books. Um, and I'm a firm believer in that old adage that nothing sells your last book like your next book. Um, if you want to sell your back catalog, have another book come out because people discover you and look at all your, and then go and look at all the books you have and, and they start buying all the books. Um, at least some of them do. Um, and I think that that's, you know, how I've been able to make it work is, is I've become a full-time writer, but I, I wasn't always. And I, I, you know, it was hard at times to balance that, honestly. Um, and ultimately I had to make a decision to do one or the other. Yeah. Well, looking back, back at the beginning when you started writing, what assumptions did you make about your writing career and did they turn out to be right or wrong? You know, I, I, I've always believed in myself. Um, I, I, I think I, I built a business and, and had been successful with it. So I, I believed in my ability to tell a story. I think because that first book kind of caught on a little bit um, initially, and I realized that I had something there, it, it gave me the, the confidence to keep going. And, and, and when the subsequent books in that series continued to, to get um, good reviews and, and be well accepted by the readers, um, it, it kept pushing me to go on. So I think my assumptions early were um, that I, I could do this, that, that my words had worth. And I think that that's something, you know, I, 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 does that mean I don't deal with imposter syndrome? No, I absolutely do. Um, I, I, there, I'm in the middle of a book right now that I actually stopped and started writing a short story because I just was stuck. And um, I was doubting where the story was going and um, I needed to take a break. And, but I took, I took a break by writing something else. And, and that's kind of how I fo- refocus myself is pull a character from something else and write a short story about them. Um, 
And honestly, that's a great idea though. I mean, that's just kind of a palate cleanser mm -hmm. and it can get you back on track sometimes. And in this particular one, I decided to write a short story from the, the world in which the, my current project is set. And the short story became the answer to my problem. <laughs> um, I, I love that. I love that. I didn't plan it, but uh, the character that I created for this short story is now I have to go back and add them to the beginning of the book because they're the answer. They're the solution to what, why the story wasn't moving along. I needed this other subplot to kind of carry things in the slow, in the slow parts of the book. And um, so you never know where that inspiration is going to come from. And yeah. so when you get stuck on something, don't be afraid to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm not getting rid of it. I'm going to put it aside and I'm going to write, you know, a 5,000 word short story. And maybe you can write that in a week or two weeks, whatever, however fast you write. Um, right. and, and it'll just help you kind of re reset your brain, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. Uh, my mom, I'm at my mom's right now, and she just said to me, because I gave her my book, the new book, and she said, every time I read it, I just, I kind of can't believe it. But then I remember that you just don't really give up. And, you know, I've said that about a million times on this podcast, you only fail if you give up. And so if you get stuck pivoting and doing something else for a bit is that's not giving up. That's just taking your creativity in a different direction. And so I think that's great, great advice. So what was the biggest gamble you think you've, um, uh, taken in your writing career? Um, you know, a couple of years ago when you guys had Craig Martell on recently, um, right. yeah. which, you know, great. I'm following Craig. So everybody, when you get bored with this episode, go back and listen to Craig. He's much better than <laughs> I am. Um, <laughs> but um, honestly, the biggest gamble I took was spending the money that I didn't quite have and convincing my wife to come with me and go to Bali. Mm. I mean, so that trip was expensive. Right? Yeah, was that, a, was a that was a conference. Yeah. It was 20 books, Bali. It was limited to 50 people. Um, uh, there were people like Mark Dawson and Kevin J. Anderson, um, Rebecca Moesta, um, Michael Anderley, Craig Martell, and a host of other authors that, either were at a certain level or wanted to be at a certain level. And I think at the time I was right on the cusp of that, that um, line. Um, it was a, but it was, you know, it's not cheap to fly halfway around the world and certainly not when you take your wife with you. Um, the tickets were not cheap. Um, they were $3,500, I think, um, to, to go. And, you know, that's, people might go, that's insane. Um, it was all inclusive. So it included your hotel room, it included some meals, it included everything. Um, Cause it was meant to be that kind of like immersive, all inclusive project. Um, and Craig Martell ran it. Um, it was small groups. Uh, we are still like, I'm still really close to a lot of the people that went to, that I went to Bali with. Um, and had I not gone on that trip, I don't think I would have had the gumption to continue I had just gone full time. So I don't know if I would have had the gumption to continue, but the relationships that I found there, um, some really amazing authors that um, a few of them I later found out were also in a similar position of, you know, am I going forward or am I stopping this thing? Right. Um, 
And we all kind of found that impetus to keep moving. And, and so I'm not telling people to spend money they don't have because mm-hmm. I think everyone needs to make that decision for themselves. But there will come something, I think, some hurdle in your writing career that'll require you to stretch. And it might be a stretch financially. It might be a stretch personally. It might be a stretch on a time management sense. I don't know what, what your hurdle is going to be, but I honestly believe that everybody reaches that hurdle and how you make yourself climb over it, get through it, go around it, whatever it is you need to do um, will determine where you go next. Right. And I think you have several of those along the way. You know, that first 20 books, I mean, that first Smarter Artist Summit, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't really have the money. And I tell that story, I returned my Christmas presents and, you know, everything to go to that. I didn't even have a book out. And so there was this feeling of, I don't know if I really belong here, but there was just something in my gut that said I needed to be there. And it was the best money I've ever, it's the best thing I ever did for my, I mean, I don't think I would be writing and or writing at this level and, and having this as my career had I not gone to that. Well, and, you know, and you're right. I mean, that's where I met Craig. Um, yeah. That, I mean, I met a ton of people at that conference. Um, and I didn't really have the, the time or the energy or the money to go to that conference. I, at the time, I was traveling to 10 medical conferences a year wow. um, and running a full television studio in, on the conference floor, interviewing researchers and things. And mm-hmm. it was just a huge headache. And I think that first Smarter Artist Summit, I, had, I, was, I came back, I was home for a day and I turned around and left again. Mm-hmm. And I really just didn't feel like going anywhere. Right, um, right. I was exhausted. And then I came back from that conference and I was just rejuvenated and energized. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're absolutely right, Jamie. I, I think there are probably hurdles like that, that I'll, I have yet to encounter too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I just had one with this, with this release, um, just a financial kind of how, how am I going to invest in this? You know, how much am I going to invest in this sort of thing? And it's, it was a gamble. It paid off, but it was a gamble. And, um, but I think like with the, Smarter Artist Summit, and I say this a lot, but, you know, I met you, I met Sarah, I met our friend Danielle. I mean, we met so many people, and only a couple of the people that I met there that I'm really close with do write what I write, but mm-hmm. it, wasn't, it wasn't making the connections within your genre. It was right. making connections with other indie authors that wanted to go the same place you wanted to go, and that's what's so important, I think, when you're when you're kind of plotting out your indie career and you're sort of confused about a lot of things, find the people that are going where you want to go and get with them. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just think that's, yeah, yeah that's, that's so I'll go ahead, sir. Oh, I just say that's hard. <laughs> I was just going to say that's hard to do right now because of COVID because nobody's it is. meeting. It is. But you know, you can meet online right now, but there is something about being in person that is yeah. just invaluable. Like, you just develop a different type of connection with people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know we're all looking forward to the day when we can go back and travel and do things again. And I think we'll all just be, we'll value it even more because we can't do it right now. So it's shown us how important it is. And yeah, the conferences are just, I'm an introvert. So I don't like, I don't love to go to the conferences. Like you were saying, Jamie, that you didn't really want to go. Sometimes I'm like, eh, do I really want to take the time to travel and the money? 
but it's always worth it. I don't think I've ever gone to anything where I was like, oh, well, that was a waste of time. So yeah, it's really, it's a good thing. And, to do. and Jamie said something important because I think it's important, while it's important to connect with authors in your genre for marketing purposes and mm -hmm. for self, you know, cross support and things like that, mm -hmm. I think it's super important to connect with authors outside your genre too. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Craig and I are friends. Craig's a sci-fi writer. I'm a fantasy writer. You know, mm -hmm. um, Jamie and I are friends. Romance is not anything. I mean, my, <laughs> my first couple of books, my wife had me go back and write in a romantic storyline, not a big one, but yeah. because he's like, they, they got to have somebody. Um, right, right. And because I'm just a, you know, I'm a dumb guy. I just don't. <laughs> do um, and now it's, but it's become something I make a point to include some kind of, not a major plot line, but there has to be some kind of interest, you know, a wink mm -hmm. or a nudge or something that says, Hey, I like that person. Yeah. 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 I think it's just so important. Have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? You know, um, I, I, I'm sure I have because I make mistakes all the time. Um, <laughs> but you do. But I, 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 I can't think of one to answer that one off the top of my head, unfortunately. Well, that is okay. Um, yeah. Um, I, I'm almost, I, I could almost be certain that I will think of 10 when we get done yes, this call. Of course. Um, That's but, me too. But we have yeah. a follow-up. <laughs> um, what about the opposite? Have you ever had a thought that you thought was just like the best plan ever? And then it turned out to kind of be a flop. Have you had anything go like that? Oh yeah, I can do that. Um, we can all do that. Um, uh, so last year, um, I, I had written a, a series with um, somebody um, and had, they, had, they had published it themselves um, through their small press. And it, it, it did well, uh, well enough. It wasn't a gangbusters success, but it did well enough. But I also felt after a year or so that it wasn't being marketed very well. And, and I, thought it, I thought I could do better. Um, so I spent the money to, to buy, kind of buy out their half of the, the investment in the project, you know, the, what we put into covers and editing and stuff, um, which was not an insubstantial amount of money for five books in a series. Um, and I said, I'm going to, you know, I just read the relaunch book and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to relaunch these suckers. It's going to be great. It's going to be epic. And I lost my shirt. I spent, you remember this, Jamie, we were, we were talking to each other yeah. uh, regularly during that front time frame. Yeah. Um, it was a horrible flop. Um, those books still earn a little bit. Um, but I'll, I, I, I'll be surprised if I ever earned back the money I, I spent buying them back and then trying to relaunch them with ads and push and everything. Um, so, you know, here's the thing. I kept going. I, I, I reset. I actually went back and wrote another book in my original series, the Extreme Medical Services series, kind of reset, reconnected with my original readers. Mm -hmm. and And... Went back to the beginning, I guess, and just said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put that behind me. Those books are still there, and they make a little bit every month, and, you know, but you, you're going to have those. Um, and, and, and here's the thing. When you're an indie author, you are the publishing company, too. You're not just the author. And guess what? Look at publishing companies. How many books do they put out? How many are major hits? And how many don't sell? Um, so you're going to have, you're going to write books. You're going to commit to writing a series and it's not going to do well. And does that mean you're not a good author? No, it just means your idea for what you thought would connect with readers 
didn't hit this time. Right. Maybe that book will become popular 10 years from now when mm-hmm. and, you know, somebody writes, makes a movie about books that are similar to that and you're able to, to glom onto that in the marketing right. push. Right. But you know, you've got to kind of hold that hope out there. But in the meantime, it's, you just reset and, and go back to something more familiar or something more sure, I guess, um, and, 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 try to re, and try to reconnect with your readers. And, um, you know, and, an important thing to do is to survey your readers. I don't think we do this enough. Um, yeah. Don't be afraid to ask your readers on your list or wherever you get them, you know, two or three questions a couple times a year to find out what they like. What, they're, what else are they reading? What other books mm-hmm. that are similar to yours they are reading? Simple questions like that. Leave it open-ended so that they have to write something more than yes or no. And, and, and then see what they're reading. If, if, you, know, if you're, you know who your super readers are after you've written a few books. They're the ones that are responding to all your emails and answering all your Facebook posts. And, you know, um, so trust them to say, yeah, this book's kind of like your book. And, and then see what it is about that book if it's really successful that maybe, you know, read it, actually sit down and read it and say, oh, what, what parts of this book might be connecting and clicking better than what I wrote in my book? And maybe there's a slight shift, just, you know, a little change that could make a big difference. Yeah, I've done that. I've asked my readers what they're reading. And I got so many responses that I compiled it all together. And later on, I made this, one of my emails was like, Sarah's readers recommend. And it was really an interesting experiment. And it's an interesting list because it's not the books that I would have thought, you know. And um, it's been one of the things that's helped me understand my readers better. I think that's really valuable to do that. If somebody once told me, and I think it's, and I forget who said it, and probably more, more than one person has said it, but you are not your reader. You might like that cover. And it's gonna, and it's not gonna click. Um, you you might like this story, but it's not gonna click, or at least not the way you thought it would. And so you've got to really think about. You're not your reader. There, you got to kind of really understand who your reader is. Very true. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what changes have you seen in your genre over the course of your author career, and have you how have you adapted to that? Um. One of the things that has changed, I think, a lot is that um, it's a a significant portion of the urban fantasy, which is the genre I write, has shifted into paranormal romance. Um, You know, and and shifting is uh, all puns intended there because a lot of them are shifter (laughs) romances. Um, But, um, and so nowadays when I market, if I try to market directly to what I think are urban fantasy readers, a lot of them are really paranormal romance readers. And I, like I've said before, I'm not a romance writer. There might be some romance, but it's all closed door off the page and it's nothing to do with the main storyline at all. Um, So they're looking for that. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to find it in my books. And so I, I have to be a little different and a little more judicious in how I connect with certain readers. Um, and I, I've been able to do that uh, with some of it with your help, Jamie, on, you know, how to connect with Facebook audiences better Mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, for advertising and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, that's been the biggest change in, in my primary genre, which is, is, um, urban fantasy is that a lot of the readers there are really paranormal romance fan uh, readers. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I think about the urban fantasy that I read, which is a lot of trad publish. Uh, I have three really that I love urban fantasy uh, writers, Alona Andrews, uh, Faith Hunter and uh, Patricia Briggs. Mm -hmm. And they do have romance in, but I think in their main series, the romance comes very much later. You know, Mm -hmm. there's several, several, several books before they, I mean, it's leading you there, but uh, but then I think about some others that I've read recently, and you're right. There, there are quite a few. There's a lot of romance in those. I just hadn't really put it all together. That's so interesting. Um, and so, do you think that? Do you think your readers want that, or do you think that you so found to, the readers that kind of don't care or don't really a want little that? subset, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think it just requires targeting a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. And, and and really being upfront about what the story is and what yeah. it isn't. Yeah. Um, it, part of that is going to come out in cover design. You really need to target your cover design well, either by having a cover designer you trust to do it for you mm-hmm. or to have a good handle on the books that you want to relate to right. um, and, and what the covers in that that are, that are, grabbing those readers pull in mm-hmm. and giving that to a cover designer and saying, this is what my book cover needs to look like. Mm-hmm. These, these color schemes, these, this type of main character on the cover with a weapon or whatever, no bare shirt, no signs of, you know, yes. man chest and any of that stuff that, that a romance will, will trigger a romance reader to say, Oh, I think I'll like this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if they if they get it, at least I will have felt like I haven't led them down the path. The same thing with right. my blurb and stuff like that. You know, I don't want to put anything in there that leads them to think there's anything to do yeah. with romance in this story. Yeah, right. Well, it's interesting because I've sort of been doing that lately. Uh, well, since Nink last year with a subtitle. Um, <clears throat> I, you know, especially with this new book, I put a slow burn sports rom- rom-com because it is a slow burn. I mean, it's it's you're we're all way through the book before they really get together. And some people don't like slow burns. And so I want them to know that, but I also put it on the cover of the book. I mean, you know, it's like, I don't, you have to put it both places, you know, to be, in to compliance. be okay with it. Yeah. In <laughs> compliance. Thank you with uh, Amazon. But, but with my bride's book, same thing. I have the, it's a trope, but, it, <clears throat> but that trope also tells them what they're not getting. You know, right. if, if they're wanting what this thing and they look at my books, it, it's not going to be that because they see it on the cover or they see it in the subtitle. So that's, and there are that's plenty of people who write books that I like I write. I mean, there's Jim mm-hmm. Butcher and yeah. um, Kevin Hearn and, yeah. you know, all of these great, you know, urban fantasy writers who have a little bit of romance, but it, it, it doesn't come to later books. And my, my books have the romances have developed so that by like book four or five, there was a romance that had developed, but it had kind of developed the way I develop romances, which is kind of like discovery slowly over time while she's trying to hit me over the head with a club and drag me off to her cave. Um, so, it, you know, I think that's okay. And I think my readers kind of like that. Yeah. 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 Well, it's that's true to your voice. It's true mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. Uh, what's the best thing you've done to set yourself up for success? Um, get my wife to, to buy into me doing this. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it was a big leap to sell a business and that was successful. Um, 
it helps that she's way more successful financially and in business than I am. Um, so that that's always a help, but she, she never has doubted me. And I'm, I know how lucky I am in that because I you know yeah. from many people I know that their spouses or significant others are not super supportive of them, but I was able to get her to buy in early. Um, she's my number one. She's my alpha reader. She gets the books before everybody else gets them. Um, she hasn't read all of my books because I started writing a lot faster, but she reads all of my early series, any new books in those series that come out, she reads, um, when I really need her to read something, she'll put aside what she's doing and, and dig into it for me. If I think something's not quite hitting right. Um, so I think for me, that number one thing was getting her, getting her buy-in, but we're very much a, a partnership couple always have have been. We don't do, we don't make any major decisions without talking about it and coming to a consensus first. And, um, this was a big decision. This is, you know, doing a new business, doing a new venture. Um, so for us, it was important that that come along. Right. And you are, and I say that I am too. I'm very lucky. I have the same kind of support. He doesn't read my books because he's not my audience, but, um, he, but, my husband is so super supportive, but I go to conferences and I hear, you know, we, you've heard it too, you know, people whose spouses, I think it's harder for men too, because in a lot of cases, not every time, not every case, but a lot of cases, they are the primary breadwinner or, or they have the insurance or something like that. So it is a bigger leap, but it's so hard when you don't have spousal support. It's just, it's almost impossible, uh, I think, because it's it drains you um, of creativity and motivation, and then you feel guilty, you know. So I think you're really, I think you're right. You, yeah. you, pick, you picked a good one. <laughs> and spouses comes up a lot with this question. I've been surprised yes. that a lot of people. That's the first thing they say that right. You know, right. Pick the right person. So. So where can people find you, Jamie? Um, they can find me over at jamiedavisbooks.com. That's J-A-M-I-E books.com. Um, I'm really active on Facebook. Um, so you can probably find me there under Jamie Davis books or, um, you know, just look up Jamie Davis. Uh, I, I will be one of the ones probably pops up quickly cause I'm very active there. Um, on Twitter, you can find me under the handle Podmedic, P-O-D-M-E-D-I-C. That dates back to when I used to be a medical journalist and a podcaster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but um, yeah, it's, I always am happy to talk to people. If you were thinking about starting a podcast, I'm, I will happily spend, you know, an hour on the phone with you talking you through the process and getting you at least a little bit started down the, down the road. Um, I'm just happy to help people out. I, I, a lot of people helped me get to where I am, both as a journalist and a podcaster, as well as an author. And I am a hundred percent believing that it's my job to pass that along. Yep. Well, that is great. Well, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much. It was been, it's been great. Yeah. Thank well, you for having me. I appreciate it. And um, I look forward to uh, folks listening to this episode and, and hopefully getting something positive to help them down the path out of it. Oh, I think they will. So we'll have all the show notes and links um, at the website. And that is wish I'd known then for writers.com. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the wish I'd known then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.